Good morning, church. Great to be with you. Uh, I am excited. We're in our uh, second week of, of starting a, a new series we call Real ID. Not the thing you get from the government, but the thing you get from your God. Who, you know, we said last week we have these times in our lives, in, in other phases of our life, where we need somebody to kind of look us in the eye and remind us who we are. And we're trying to do that from a spiritual and biblical sense. God had this conversation with a region of churches in modern-day Turkey for us, uh, and it's, we know it as the book of Ephesians, but it's really to a whole region there where he looks the people of God in, it, in his eye and say, here's who you are. Because you know this, every day of our lives, we wake up and we are lied to every single day about who we are and who we're supposed to be. And so I think it's a good time at the beginning of the year to kind of let God tell us again uh, who we are and why we're here on the planet. One other thing you'll notice is we're kind of uh, preparing the seeds for this. The first three chapters, only six chapters in the book. We're just going to kind of look at, at the, you know, the overview of it. First three chapters are really God telling us who we are. And then the, uh, the last three chapters are then how do we live out of that identity? So have a sense for that flow. It'll be important with some of the things that we talk about a little bit later. Last week, as you know, if you were here or if you weren't, we, we let God tell us in this chapter one, this glorious chapter he said, you're chosen. I picked you to be part of my work and my purpose in the world. And I picked you before you did anything. I picked you before the creation of the world. I picked you before you did anything good or before you did anything bad. I chose you. And I chose you to be in this country, we said, this region, which isn't a geographical one. It is a spiritual one in Christ. And in Christ, you are abundantly, lavishly rich. You were chosen to be rich. And so let's look at another piece of what God tells us we are today. If you have your Bibles, your devices, we're reading in Ephesians chapter 2 now. We'll start in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had a season of your life or time in your life or you or the community that you're a part of had some experience similar to this little village in Ireland. It's a little, it's called the Roundstone Pier area in Ireland. And they had a, a, a summer, I think it was, or, or the beginning of the fall, they had a whole season where things were kind of difficult. 
I I read a blog entry one time. They said uh, the first thing that happened is a man fell off the village wall. Now, I don't even know what that means, but you picture kind of the old school countries where where the city around it had a a wall. He fell, he lived, and so it turned out all right, but it's really scary. This guy falls off the wall. And and then the next thing that happens, just a, a few weeks later, there's a young man who's driving a car, probably a little too fast, not where he should be, and goes off the pier, goes upside down into the harbor, uh, fortunately, a lady there cried out for help. They went and got him, pulled him out, and the car sitting there upside down in the water. And maybe some of you have seen this before, but I think it's pretty powerful. So what, they, what are they going to do? There's a car sitting in there. So they get a crane, and they're going to pull the car out. Next slide. And they bring the car up a little bit, and then here's what happens next. <laughs> the crane goes in. I just love this picture. It's got a, like all the best plans. It was a remote control crane, okay, so nobody goes in the water. Everybody's all right. Uh, no animals or people die in these stories. But um, so it goes in. And so what, what do you have to do? The, the next slide. This is so great. They get a bigger crane. <laughs> and first it pulls the car out. And then the last picture, it pulls the crane out. I just, I love this. I love this picture. And you think about when they go and they come up to the edge of the water and there's this problem there's a car upside down in the water and they start with that first little crane and here's what they missed they underestimated the severity of the situation they were dealing with and that first crane was not strong enough it wasn't weighty enough for the problem they were dealing with right and I want you to feel that because that's what Paul is trying to do and the Holy Spirit of God is trying to do at the beginning of this chapter. He's going to tell us some pretty cool things about our identity, but it doesn't start wonderful. It starts pretty dark. And the reason is, I think sometimes we don't seem to recognize the gravity of our own condition, right? We are living in a fallen and broken world, and sometimes we kind of take a small crane um, response to the major problem that we're facing, the the gravity, the weightiness of what the Bible says. At the beginning, it says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And hear me, if you're just visiting, just ask people around. I don't come and drop like sin bombs on people all the time, but the scripture leads us to talk about this condition that that we deal with. So I'm not here to beat us up. We're here to recognize the gravity of our situation. And let's be honest, sometimes our language will tell us that we're trying to take small crane responses to a big crane problem, right? Listen to the way we talk about the condition of our hearts and the world. We will say things like, ah, we have issues, <laughs> right? Or life is complicated, or, or my favorite word that we use to kind of downplay conflict and struggle and, and, and mess in our lives, uh, we're a little dysfunctional, <laughs> right? Our families are dysfunctional, our church can be dysfunctional, leadership can be dysfunctional, whatever. And we'll use that. Listen, there's a place and a time for all of those words, but in, listen to me, it sounds strange. In God's kindness, he tells us the truth. And he says, we're not, we're in a, in a world that's kind of issues and all the kind of stuff and conflict or all that dysfunctional, let me tell you, you were dead. You were dead in this thing called sin. And I remind you, sin is not breaking a rule. God's not a cosmic cop. Sin is our declaration of independence from the one who made us. And life doesn't work when we do it on our own. And God said that from the beginning and shown it from the beginning. When we say to God, I've got it. My wisdom, my vision, my insight, my rules, my gut instinct. God tells us very strongly here and tries to get this apart. 
understand where you are headed is death when you are trying to run your life. And he gives us this very, I think, insightful truth in our lives. And sometimes, this is what's so hard for us, sometimes the truth God will give us is not always obvious to us when we look at it. So I want to think about this way. Um, I, I did this a little bit before first service, and I asked a couple people. Uh, I said, I mean, honestly, I got this for the sermon, but I, I said I got it for Melanie, okay? <laughs> I got this arrangement for Melanie. And it was funny, in first service, um, well, now I'm going to start with a nice one. So I asked Wesley, you know, what do you think about, what do you think about the, the arrangement I got for Melanie? He said, oh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful arrangement. I asked Steve Smith, the judge in first service, I said, uh, what do you think about the arrangement I got for Melanie? He said, oh, that'll do. <laughs> he was kidding. He was kidding. He was joking. But I want you to think about what words we would use to describe these flowers. It's beautiful. It's, I love the colorful. I love the variety. I didn't buy it, by the way. I love the variety of it. I, I, I love the, the arrangement, the differences of it. It's incredibly beautiful. But you know, one description, when I ask anybody to describe these flowers, they never give me is a very deep and important truth about these flowers. Can you guess what is true about these flowers? They're dead. <laughs> They're dead. Because the moment these flowers were severed and cut from the root of the earth in which they live, they start dying. And this is so important, especially for our younger people to get this. It is so important. You can't see it yet. They look vibrant and alive. And I'm telling you, God says you can live off your gut instinct, off what you think is right, your best wisdom, your best idea. You can live for a long time that way, and it'll look like it's lively. It'll look like it's vibrant. It'll feel like and smell like it's great. And you're dead. Because God says life doesn't, listen, he's not being mean, he's not dropping a bomb. Life does not work when we are severed from the roots of the one who made us. I want you to get this picture. In fact, he goes out of his way to try to say it several different ways. In fact, part of what God is doing is he's painting here. It's a way to think about it. In verse 7, he kind of paints a picture of who he is. In verse 10, he's very clear about this imagery of painting and artwork that he's going to do. But there's three different images that he's trying to get across to us about what life looks like and where life leads when we're driving our own bus. So let's just walk through some of those images and where it's coming out in Scripture. The first one is the image of a corpse. And don't worry, I'm not going to give you like real dead bodies up there. But, but this is uh, the memorial, the Holocaust memorial in San Francisco. And they did this to kind of recognize and grieve over and mourn over and honor those lives that were lost in the Nazi regime when they're uh, basically trying to commit genocide. And if you would ask the artist, why, why in the world would you depict bodies lying on the ground? Did you know this actually fits into the actual events that happened after we won the war and we were trying to prosecute the people that were responsible for this? Um, in the Nuremberg trials, perhaps you've heard of this, so we're taking them basically to court and holding them, uh, you know, uh, and, and trying to indict them for uh, crimes against humanity. And Supreme Court Justice Jackson was the one prosecuting the case. Now, a lot of people heard those stories. A lot of people don't know that he was actually losing the case for a while. 
I mean, this seems staggering. You would think they're trying to commit genocide. Seems like a pretty easy case to win. But at the beginning, by all accounts, he wasn't doing a great job because what he was doing to present his case was reading into evidence documents of the things that happened. And I know now today we think, well, of course people would do this, lawyers would do this, but back then it was fairly unprecedented. He decided to switch tactics and he brought in film footage and photography of the atrocities that happened and it changed everything. Of course, the defense tried to object because they didn't want that in there and the court rightly said, no, listen to me, we have to see the bodies. Because sometimes you have to see where a particular attitude or course of action leads and Paul is saying, listen, you were dead and God will say, you, I'm not going to force you to do anything. You can choose your own way but let me tell you, when you choose your way and not mine, there is a corpse in your future, spiritually speaking. Second image that you get from the language of here is the image of chains. Three times in this little brief passage in the beginning, it says we followed something, we followed something. We followed the, the course of the world, or the ways of the world. We followed uh, the kingdom the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It's an image of the enemy, the evil one, the devil. And we followed our own fleshly desires. We followed, think of that first one. We followed the course of this world. I want you to picture kind of a white uh, water rafting river. It's moving. It's, if you put something on that water, do you stay put? No, you move. You follow the course of the river. And, and Paul is trying to say, and the Holy Spirit is trying to say, you don't just exist in the world if you are not actively living a different way. You're going to follow the course of the culture in which we live. And he's telling you that course will lead you to a place you don't want to go. And he uses this image of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And just like the story we did in the book of Exodus, there is a tyrant at work in this world who wants nothing less than to destroy every relationship in your life. And you can follow it. God says you can follow those ways and you can follow those instincts. You can follow your desires and you will end up in a place you don't want to be. You will be in chains. And the last image he gives, our contemporary example of it, is a chair. Not just any chair. This is the symbol of the chair in our culture that says someone has done something that the culture has deemed worthy of execution that you are condemned and guilty now the language here he says at the end is that at this point in time we were all by nature by fallen nature not god's good creation but by god's by by our sinful fallen nature we are objects of wrath or deserving of wrath by the way i hate Hey, talk this way. Let's just lean into the scripture here, though. It's not saying God is just waiting around for you to screw up and he's going to drop bombs of wrath on you. That's not what it's saying. Hear me. He's saying we were born into a broken and condemned world already. God doesn't have to issue a sentence on the world when we drive it our own way. We're breaking everything. We've talked about that before. Sin breaks the world. It destroys everything. And God says, when we're going that direction, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're doing on our own. We woke up with a death sentence. <laughs> and God doesn't have to inflict that upon us. We have kind of a spiritual electric chair waiting for us if we just keep following the ways of our world. And so he said, we all inherited a fatal condition. Now, we all make our own choices, too, but you woke up and you were born into a world of rebellion, running away from God. That's the course of the world in which we live. And I'm not saying, oh, everything's evil and bad. I'm saying that's the direction that a world moves when we don't have God at the center of things. 
And the entire world changed when the direction of human beings started saying, hey, we're going to do it our way, we're going to do it our way. I was thinking about this way, you know, years ago now, our first son was born. And it was right after we moved to Texas the first time. So we moved in August, and he was born in September. I want you to think about this. He was born on September 5th, 2001. Think about that for a moment. He moved here in August, September 5th, 2001. And I remember just a few days later, 9-11-2001, I was driving to the student center in Lubbock, Texas, had our daughter in the car, and we were going to, yes, they called it this too, there, Sunshine Preschool. I was going to drop her off at Sunshine Preschool, and I heard this, this is back when I actually still listened to the radio, and I heard um, this news report, and I thought it was a repeat of something that had happened before, and then I heard about what happened in 9 11. And I'm, I'm telling you folks, I can remember where my car was on University Avenue when I thought, oh my gosh, our son was just born into a totally new world. Because the world changed that day, did it not? And the Holy Spirit of God said the world changed when we started declaring our independence from God. And you wake up born into a world that is fatal if we just kind of go by the flow and live accidentally. Does that make sense? Now, this is really dark and heavy. It's an appropriate day. We come in in the rain. I'm sorry. Trust me. I'm not trying to, like, live in this place. Hear me. We own that. If we just own that, then we can hear the good news because that's really the point. In fact, I want you to think about this for a moment. Um, Last week and this week, there's something in common with the text that we looked at. And in both cases, if you were an English teacher, you would probably give Paul an F or at least you'd give him a pretty low grade. We talked about this last week. In in chapter 1, if you weren't here, verse 3 all the way through verse 14 is one sentence. I know they didn't have punctuation agreed, but you can tell from the way it's written. It is one long run-on sentence. (laughs) Now, that bad grammar technically had a really good point because Paul was just gushing. He said, I'm just going to lay it out. I'm going to dump it out so much. Your blessings that you have in Christ. What does it look like to be in Christ? What is God giving you? How rich it is. And he just effuses praise for God for what he's done. And the run-on makes sense. There's a point for it. And if you come to this uh, beginning of this chapter, first of all, there's another run-on. First seven verses, run-on sentence. But the part that's really important to hear because it's really important. Did you know in the first three verses, before you get up to verse 4, there is no subject and there is no verb? I know you're saying, look, I didn't come to church to get a grammar lesson. Follow me on this because it's really powerful, okay? There's no subject, no verb. I know in English we clean it up to read pretty well. But it's It's like being dead in your transcript. There's no subject and verb. There's no subject and verb. Hear me. This is so important. Hear me. You ready for this? What does the grammar tell us? It tells us all the bad news I just told you is not the point. If you ever go to churches, all they do is they beat you up about the bad news. That's not the point. That was the setup for the point. Yes, we were dead, we were dead, we were dead, we were dead. Not the point. We get to the subject in verse 4. And why I read it slightly differently than the way that we quoted it, because the NIV makes it nice and neat and clean. It's not neat and clean in verse 4. This is. I want to walk you through what Paul says when you get to verse 4. You were dead, you were dead, you were dead, you were dead. The two most glorious words in Scripture. But God. You were dead, but God. 
God is the subject, not you. God's work, God's grace, God's goodness is the subject, not how bad and wretched and broken the world is. It's about God. And what's so great is Paul can't even get to say God's name before he interrupts himself again. Again, it's clean in the way that we just memorized it, but it's not clean in the Greek. It says, but God, and then you catch Paul saying, oh my gosh, I got to talk about him for a second. So it goes like this, but God, who is rich in mercy. But we don't get the verb yet. But God, who is rich in mercy. And then it's really clunky the way he says it, says it next. But God, who is rich in mercy, whose love is great with which he loved us. What? God, who is rich in mercy, but God with this incredibly great love, but God. And finally, in verse 5, you get the verb. What does he say? But God made us alive with Christ. Yeah, you were dead, you were dead, you were dead. But here's the thing. It was you were dead. What's your identity now? God says you are alive with Christ. You are alive. Now, here's the crazy thing. Just, it's the opposite of this. This can look like it's alive when it's dead. Now, I can't do this. There's no magic to do this. But God can do this in a spiritual sense. He can take, what would this look like two or three weeks from now? But you know what God can do? He can take those things that look absolutely rotten and dead, reroot them in Christ, and they come alive again. Now, hear me. Some of you hear this, and it's hard for you to believe what I'm saying. Because you'll think, okay, you'll walk through those images again. You can't get past the images in the first part. That wasn't the point. Let's go backwards through them. So you might think, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I still feel like I'm sitting in the chair. Does anybody feel like they're sitting in the chair of condemnation? Anybody, if you're a visitor and you come to a church and you feel like you're sitting in the chair of condemnation, Holy Spirit, take that away. That's not what I'm saying. And I, if, you, if you feel that way, do I feel it too. Feel it from others or I can feel it from me or whatever the case may be. And, and we may feel that way. And hear me, before we get to anything else, here's what God says. You may feel condemned, but God does not do that. Think about Jesus who revealed God. What does he do with people who are worthy of condemnation all throughout his ministry? He acquits them and gives them another opportunity. Hanging on the cross, he's about to die. There is a man there who is a thief who the entire society apparently has said, or at least the government has said, is worthy of death. He is worthy to die. But God said to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. They brought an adulterous woman, threw him in front of Jesus just to use her to make a theological point in a debate. And the law of the Bible said she was worthy of dying. And all the people were there were ready to carry out the sentence. But God said I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life. So you may feel like you're in the chair, but you are alive in Christ, according to God, if you are in Christ. You know, what, what about um, uh, the experience that we have of being in chains? <laughs> you feel like you're struggling. You can't, you can't get out of that mindset. You can't get out of the depression. You can't get out of the struggle. You can't get out of that situation. You feel like you're in chains sometimes, even if you're in Christ. I get it. I know the feeling. But God says, I specialize in breaking chains. We did a series on the exodus. 
And he comes to people like this guy who is possessed by legion, many demons. And Jesus speaks a word and he's sitting there in his right mind. And Paul and Silas go on a mission trip like a lot of you guys do. And they get beaten with an inch of their life and they end up in jail and they sing praises to God and he busts them out. God sets captives free. And of course, the point of this whole section is a lot of us sometimes feel like a walking corpse. And we are faking it beautifully on the outside, but we look dead and feel dead on the inside. But God specializes in the treatment of dead people. <laughs> Here's a little suggestion. Don't ever invite Jesus to a funeral. He'll screw up the worship order. All right? Going to grieve over Lazarus. Doggone it. He calls him out and he stinks, but he doesn't stink anymore. He's alive. And little girls, they're weeping and grieving over them, and he'll raise them up. And little boys, he'll raise them up. And doggone it, they were celebrating his own death when they killed him, and he didn't stay dead. You may feel dead today. Hear the word of the Lord. But God raises the dead. That's what he does. So you're in Christ. You are alive. How does this happen? How does this happen? Especially in the church, we've got to say this. It is all a gift. It's all a gift. It's always been a gift. We memorized it. We believe it. You know, I was a kid. I, we avoided these verses. <laughs> we, we focused on, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying this is what I learned. I learned to tell people all the stuff we had to do. We were really good. We'd give them a list. We got five steps and we got all sorts of stuff we got to do. That's fine. We, there's a place to do that. But that's what Paul does. It is by grace you've been saved. And don't stained glass the word. It's a word that means gift. You've been gifted to be rescued from all the stuff that's heavy that we talked about before. There is a crane for that. <laughs> there is a rescue for that. In Christ, you're saved by grace. Now, here's what we, we are so good as religious people of taking a great thing like grace and we'll turn it back into something we do. So we'll say, okay, we're saved by grace through faith. So then I got to go faith right. <laughs> I got to go faith really hard. And I got... And, and so Paul knew, Holy Spirit knew we were going to do that. So he included a couple words that are helpful for us. You're saved by grace through faith. And by the way, this isn't from yourself. That's a gift of God too. Did you know you cannot even believe if God doesn't open the door for that? God, that your own faith is a gift of God. Yes, we have to receive it. Yes, we have a responsibility. This doesn't just magically happen. But God, the subject's God. He gave us the opportunity of faith. How does that happen? He has been wooing us. From the beginning of time, with every sunset, every creation, every smile, every connection of human relationship, everything that is intended to point us to him, he has begged you to come into the rootedness of his life. He gave you the opportunity, yes, and you choose it. By grace, through faith. Here's how it works, a simple way to picture. A lot of people, a lot of scholars that have studied this believe that this section in Ephesians is actually an early baptismal liturgy. You know, they would, they would recite this or they would pray this, do what we just did with this passage when somebody's getting baptized. And I think it's a beautiful connection because this glorious symbol of baptism that unfortunately the enemy is used to divide people, we're not going to divide anymore. They're just going to receive the gift of the symbol and what it's about. And, and so... Here's the picture, what Paul says here and elsewhere. Here's a simple principle. When you are in Christ, remember last week, it's a, this whole thing is about getting to the country that's big enough for your dreams, getting to where you are in relationship with Christ. Here's the thing. When you're in Christ, here's the promise. You ready for this? What's true of Jesus is true of you. 
Follow me on this. This is really important. When you are in Christ, it's nothing you do, but if you are in Christ, you receive the gift of being in Christ. What's true of Jesus is true of you. All right, one of my favorite news shows is Fire Country. I don't know if you've seen this. There's a bunch of fire shows on, Chicago uh, Fire and all that stuff. I love fire stuff. Um, back in the day, way back in the day, it was a movie called Dra- Backdraft. I don't know if you've seen this or somebody remembers this before your time. But it was a powerful movie, and, and it, it leads up to the scene in the end. By the way, every movie that involves fire ends in a warehouse blowing up, and it's all over the place, and they've got to stop fire. So there, there's a guy that's kind of the, uh, the, the, the bad guy in the story. He's a fireman. His nickname is Axe, and he's hanging by the arm of the hero in the story, a guy whose nickname is Bull. And they find out this dude's been starting all the fires. He's trying to do it for semi-good reason, but you're killing people. It's not good. And so he's hanging over, and, and Bull can't hold on to him, and the only way that Bull can save himself is by letting him go. He can't save both of them. And so Axe says, let me go, Bull. Let me go. And throughout the movie, they set up this moment by the mantra of the fire department, which is the mantra of Paul's spirituality. And this Bull grabbed him even tighter and was willing to give his life for him because he said, no, where you go, we go. And Jesus says, when you are in Christ, where I go, you get to go too. And what does that mean? Where did Jesus go? He went to death, by the way. And this is why I say to people that, man, if you struggle with like, making a decision for Christianity and all that, if you get the first part that we said, if you wrestle with baptism and all that, I get just making the decision. Here's a great thing. You're already dead. So why don't we just bury you and let's go start again from there. Okay? <laughs> he said, you're already dead. And so if you're in Christ, you die, but you don't stay dead because what happened to Jesus? <laughs> He's alive in every possible way. By the way, he didn't just come and walk around. It says he's sitting at the right hand of God, which is a metaphor for in the place of power and purpose and mission with God. Listen to me. If you are in Christ, where he goes, you go. Go read the book of Ephesians. See how often you are ending up in the exact place he is. It says, seated with him in the heavenly realms. Are we sitting there? No. We are in a place of power and mission and purpose with God. So a simple way to think about it is whatever your story has looked like, even up to this moment, you get the end of the story of Jesus because we're he goes, you get to go. I remember um, I'd only been a few years in love. We went the first time, and there was a, a young lady that came and asked me one of my two favorite questions that I get asked as a minister. Two favorite questions. Question number one is, I've been doing this church thing for a long time, but I actually really want to take Jesus seriously. I want to learn how to pray. I want to take Jesus seriously. I want to live into this life. I love that. Let's, do, let's go. Let's do that. But the other one is the one she asked. She said, can you tell me about Jesus? <laughs> By the way, we spend so many times just praying, thinking about it. We have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Every now and then, God makes it so ridiculously easy. She just came in and said, would you tell me about Jesus? We'll call her name Melissa. That's not her name. She was 20 or so at the time. And she was adopted. And, and some adoptive situations are, are, are wonderful. It was for you know, really good reasons or whatever the case may be, they, they gave him, hers was not. She was abandoned completely and she had that experience. And then she was adopted into a family. We got kids in here, let me just say it this way. Her adoptive father hurt her in every possible way. Let's just say that. Is that, is that fair? He hurt her in every possible way. And one of the darkest parts of this experience, she said, he, would, he, would ne- he wouldn't let her go to church or do anything involved with Christianity. I think, and again, he, you know, I pray for him too, because he's a victim of the enemy. He's not, you know, he's an enemy, but he's not the enemy. But, but somewhere in the darkness of his heart, I think he knew that Jesus is about freedom, and that's not what he wanted for her. 
So as soon as she was able to get out, she didn't just leave the house, she left the state. And one of the first things she did is she came in and said, can you tell me about Jesus? And I told her some of the things I told you. And we just went to the book of Acts. So I'll just go through the book of Acts and we'll read it. By the way, there's more than one verse in the book of Acts in case you've been in Church of Christ for a long time. So we started earlier and I'm talking about like Jesus died and we talked about all that and we came to the part where it says death could not keep hold on him. His body did not see decay. And I said he was resurrected to life. And she looked at me and she said, what? Hear me. She was born, raised, I mean, brought here, raised for 20 years in the United States of America. She did not know Jesus was alive. I got to tell her for the first time in her life, Jesus is alive. And here's my favorite thing. I said, now listen. I said, listen, Melissa, no matter what has happened in this part of your story, when you were in Christ, where he goes, you go. And that means you get and inherit the rest of his story. So whatever the beginning of yours was, you get the rest of his story. You're alive in every possible way in Christ. And I got the honor and joy of baptizing her into Christ. And I'm telling you, like weeks later, she comes back in my office. Guess what she's doing now? She's bringing a friend. And she sat there, and I didn't have to say anything. She told her friend the story of Jesus. And I don't even remember all the words she said, but I know what she said. You know what she said, didn't you? You know what she said. I was dead. But now I'm alive. I was dead. But now I'm alive. Let God look you in the eye and say, no matter what your story tells you, no matter what the world tells you, you are fully, blissfully, gloriously, eternally alive in Jesus Christ. And we get to share that story, just like she did with other people. Father God, we give you praise. We give you praise for looking us in the eye, telling us we're chosen, we have purpose, we're rich, and we're alive in you. Let us receive that gift. Let us receive that gift. Father, you're going to keep teaching us how to live that out and what it looks like, and we will fail, but help us to live out of our identity first. And Father, please give us the opportunity to share that just like Melissa did with person after person after person. We have the opportunity to give testimony to other people and watch them come alive. In the glorious resurrected name of Jesus we pray, amen.